0: Amazing Grace Kona welcome you to today's lesson from Pastor Izzy Manzo. Our prayer is that today's lesson will spiritually feed and uplift you. Now, here's Pastor Izzy. Let's turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 4. We're in the passage of Scripture, what Paul is writing to the church at Corinth. They were a church that was young in the Lord, young in their maturity in their faith. The only problem was in their church they began to say, I'm of Paul, or I'm of Apollos, or I'm of Peter. And they identified with different men of God that God had used in the early church movement. Instead of saying, I'm of Jesus, today in chapter 4, verse 1, let a man regard us in this manner. Here's how you should regard us. You regard us as servants of Christ and as stewards of the mystery of God. This is how you need to regard us. We're just servants. Literally, in the Greek, this word is slaves. Think back in the days when they had slavery and the master of the house. He said, do this, and they had to go do whatever the master said. Paul says, you guys look up to us like we're some great guys because God's used us. We're just slaves. We're servants. We're servants of the Lord. We're nothing special. We're just working for the master. So if you want to regard us in any manner, you want to look at us in any light then just look at us as servants of Christ. We're just his slaves. And if you look at us that way, then you'll have a lot better perspective. Do people ever put the ministers up on a pedestal? Oh, those guys, they're the special ones. They must be. They're being used in the ministry. I laughed because I looked up the word ministry. You know what it means? Service, like a servant in service. Not very glamorous. What's your job occupation? I'm a slave. Slave of Jesus. That's what I am. Bond servant, actually. A willful slave. That's what a bond slave is. A slave that got into trouble because they owed some money and they had to work it off. They could be indentured for a certain amount of time to work off the debt. So usually by number of years is how they paid back the debts that were owed. But if you worked for a master and did all your time, paid it all off, and you found out, hey, this guy is actually pretty good ever since I've been... Working for this master, I'm doing better in life. I got a place, I got my act together, I've got a bride now, i got some kids. You know, some of those guys in their slavery years, if they had a good master, they were like, hey, this is working out really good. I like this master. They would voluntarily say, can I stay on? But this slavery position would change. Instead of being called a slave or a servant, they would now be called a bond servant. Bond servant meant they chose to continue to serve the master because they found out he was good. They didn't have to out of debt or obligation. And so the custom was to take this bond slave to the doorpost of the house and the master would drive an awl through his earlobe and pierce the ear and put a large gold ring in it. And that ring said, this person is on my property working but not because they owe me anything. So Paul says, you want to look at me in any way? Just look at me as a bond slave. In fact, in the beginning of this book, you'll remember, Paul, an apostle, a bondservant of Christ Jesus. He's called to serve the Lord. And he found out when he started serving him, he's a good master. So he said, I'm sticking with him. I'm going to stick with that master. He is a great master to serve. There's nowhere better to go to. He's like, I haven't ever done better since I've been serving the Lord. So you want to regard me? As anything, he says, just regard me as a servant. I'm just here as a servant of Christ and a steward of the mystery of God. Now, what mystery was he a steward of? Read on. It says, in this case, moreover, it is required of stewards that they be found trustworthy. There's a qualification for a steward. You have to be a trustworthy person because you're in charge with something great, a mystery. A mystery that was hidden from the early ages that God was going to send his Messiah to redeem man. And that he was going to do that not because men earned it or anything, but because God was so good he was going to do it out of his love, his kindness. And so this is the mystery I've become a steward of. The mystery of the gospel of grace. And if you guys have read Paul's writings, you know he's the big proponent of grace it's grace everything with paul paul says he was what he was by the grace of god i am what i am by the grace of god that's all there is to it and grace means unmerited favor you didn't earn it you didn't in any way make it happen it was because of the giver of the gift you were given the gift not because of your greatness you know god didn't give us salvation because we're so great In fact, let's go on and see what Paul says about the things that God has given to us and the attitude we should have. Because the Corinthians, they kind of got stuck up. They thought, yeah, good thing God's got me on their team. And good thing I have all this stuff that he can use. And Paul's going to point out, where'd you get the stuff? Look at this. We read on, for all of stewards, it's required we be trustworthy. But to me, he says, it's really a small thing that i be examined by you or by any human court. In fact, I don't even examine myself. Now, this really threw the Pharisees into a tither in the book of Acts when he said, I have a totally clear conscience before God. And they went, you blaspheme! We've all blown it. You know, they knew the law. I mean, if you try to do the law, has anyone here ever tried to do the Ten Commandments? Have you made it through without breaking any of them? Because, you know, they broke those down into 613 smaller subcommandments called Levitical statutes. Just try to make it through the book of Leviticus without breaking a few infractions here or there. I'm sunk. I don't even get a page or two into it. I'm like, I'm out. There's no way I can say, by my merit, I earn this. And Paul, Paul said before the Pharisees in the book of Acts, I have a totally clear conscience before God. And they went, you blaspheme. We all blow it. They knew all the rules. And you're a Pharisee, a Pharisee, you know the rules. How dare you say that, you know, you have no conscience of anything you've done wrong. But what was he declaring? What had eased his conscience? Did Paul know he had sinned? Yeah. In fact, he said, I was the chiefest of sinners. You guys think you sin, I'm way better than that. Better at sin. I sinned much worse than you. I did many more heinous things. And he says, yet that God would be able to show his grace. His grace and His mercy, He forgave me. And this is something Paul has a better grasp than most Christians today. Even though he sinned a lot, he recognized that the work of Jesus to forgive sin, his sin, was so complete that he could sit back and say, you know what, guys? I have a totally clear conscience now. Because we have these men, I hate this, but they're out there. They're on power trips. They like to hold it over people like, well, you're mostly forgiven as long as you come and give some money to our group. I'll go pray special prayers on your behalf and you'll have to do certain things according to our sect. They somehow say, yes, Jesus did a good work, but it's not complete because we have to kind of help round it out. And you're going to have to get involved with your pocketbook. I mean, they're just using it as an angle to get money. They're doing the body of Christ a disfavor. They're making the good thing, the good news of the gospel, into something that is tainted with junk. It pollutes it. It takes away the purity and the beauty of it. And you see something totally pure and beautiful, and that's what the gospel of grace is. It's this beautiful message. That Paul says, I'm a steward of this mystery that God has sent his Son to pay for all our sins, the Lamb of God. Remember John the Baptist? Behold the Lamb of God who takes away... The sins of the world. Guys, do you know that the mystery is that God sent His Son to take away our sin? Not to cover it up and leave it in little covered piles. There's Izzy's sin. It's a big mountain of sin. Jesus' blood is all over it. It's covered. He didn't say what is covered by the blood. He said what is washed by the blood. Clean. You've been made clean. Now Paul knew this. Paul, the guy that sinned a lot, knew how good the cleansing was. but see, some guys sneak into churches and they go, yeah, that Jesus message is pretty good, but you do know you need to do a little extra. This is where they introduce the pollution to the pure water. They they start putting in junk in the water. They pollute it. They take this pure, beautiful message of the gospel and they add junk. And it ruins the gospel. And no wonder people don't want to try it. You want to drink polluted water? Not me. But if we could present the gospel for what it is that God and His Son, the Lamb of God, took away our sins. That's why He came. The Lamb of God who takes away. That's the beauty. If you want to regard me as anything, regard me as a guy who keeps telling you the message that Christ came to take away your sin. Take it away, remove it, it's gone. Because if I could get you to understand that, how good would it be for your faith? How would it help your day when you're having a bad day? Maybe you even sinned that day. Is it good to remember that day when you sinned that Christ came to take that away? I know for me it is. The Lord has to constantly remind me, I sent my son to take that away. I'm just a work in progress, and I know I still got work to go. People will tell me, Pastor, you just say that so we'll feel better about ourselves. We know you're really close to God. You never think anything bad. I said, you're not listening to what's going on in here. My wife says, it's a good thing I don't have one of them screen readers, you know, across the forehead. Like the thoughts went rolling by and you'd see, you idiot, you cut me off in traffic. I'd like to park my car on you. Stuff like that. You don't get to see it, thankfully. But one thing about the gospel is, can I hide that from the Lord? No. No. Jesus said they thought they were so good with their actions, but he said, you say, you should not commit adultery or you should not commit murder. But I tell you that truth, if you just look on a woman with lust in your heart, that's like committing adultery. Same thing. Because he was looking at the issue of the heart. If you look at your brother and you go, empty-headed, fool, you're guilty enough of hell and damnation because you judge your brother. You're not supposed to do that. Jesus said, if you judge... In Matthew 7, he said, do not judge, first of all. He said, don't do it. But if you do judge, what will happen? In the way that you judge, it will be measured to you. You measure another man, you're going to get measured back. You judge, you will get judged back. I'm not here to judge any man. But see, Paul understood that Christ, Christ forgave him so completely that it sunk into him. Like, if Christ forgave me everything, who am I to hold something against my fellow brother? And Jesus even taught a parable about that. You might remember this in the Gospels. He said there was a servant that owed his master a huge fortune. He could never have paid it back. Millions and millions of dollars. The slave came before the master and cried, Please have mercy on me. And the master said to that slave, Well, because you asked for mercy and you really don't deserve it, but you could never pay me anyway, I forgive you. And he forgave him all the debt. And you know what Jesus said that slave did? Jesus called him a wicked slave because he says that he went out from there after being forgiven this massive, massive fortune they could never pay back. And he grabs his fellow slave that owes him like 20 bucks and says, Pay me now. And threw him into prison and said, You're not getting out till you pay back every last cent. Well, the other slaves heard what that wicked slave did and went and told the master. And the master said, Bring him back. I forgave you all this. And you wouldn't forgive 20 bucks? Throw him into inner prison and basically, you know, throw away the key. The guy is never going to pay me back. Judge him the way he judged that man. Well, Jesus said, hear this parable because this is how it's going to be with your Father in heaven. If you don't forgive your brother who you see, when God forgave you everything. Now, Paul says, my conscience clear. Chapter 4, verse 4 again I am not acquitted by this, but the one that acquits me, that really is my examiner, is the Lord. Therefore, do not go on passing judgment before the time, but wait, wait until the Lord comes, who will both bring to light the things that are hidden in the darkness, and he'll disclose the motives of men's hearts, and then each man's praise will come to him from God. You guys probably all know this, but not everyone was raised in church, so they don't have this understanding that someday we're going to stand before our Maker. And every deed we do, good or evil, we're going to give an answer for. Why did you do that? Now, some people say, don't talk about that." It makes me uncomfortable. I'm going to have to answer up for everything I do. Yes, you are. Now, I suggest all the stuff you've done bad, you take it to the Lord now and get it dealt with. Lord, forgive me, and get the slate wiped clean before we stand before him. But see, as believers, we can do that. And we can do that daily. I just do it moment by moment because I'm pretty much in the doghouse as the day progresses. So it's just better to just do it as I go. So that I can be like Paul and say, at this moment, I've got a clear conscience. All the stuff I've done wrong, I've asked the Lord to take it away. But to the person who thinks doesn't matter, Paul would say, you might not think so now, but you're going to stand before God someday and give an answer. You will. Every one of us will. So hopefully your answer will be, I asked Jesus to step in for me here. My proxy is Jesus. He paid for me. I signed up with him. I put my faith in what he did. That's what saves you, by the way, is putting your faith in the finished work of Christ. So he goes on, he says, now these things, brethren, I figuratively have applied to Apollos and to myself for your sakes, so that in us you would learn not to exceed what is written, so that no one of you will become arrogant in behalf of the other. I'm using myself as an example. I'm just a slave. Apollos is just a slave. Quit holding us up like we're some super leaders in the church, something special of God. We're just men. Let's keep it how it is. And then he goes, Who regards you as superior? What do you have that you did not receive? If you did receive it, why do you boast as if you did not receive it? It was a gift you got. You got that stuff. Some of you have gifts like superior gifting of intellect in some area. Maybe you're really good at math or science. That was a gift from God. Not everyone has that gift. Some people are jealous of you. And others of you have other gifts. You're gifted artistically or you're gifted with physical abilities. And people are just like, you know, wow, I wish I could do that. But I got a question. What gift that you got did you not receive? It was all given to you. Now, some people don't want to acknowledge that. But see, the Bible teaches us that God is the giver of all good things. So every good gift we have was given to us. And Paul's trying to get them back to God. Get your eyes off of men. Look back to God the giver of all things, and keep the perspective. Everything you got, you got given from him. Sam only sings so good because God gifted him to sing like that. We all have gifts. And we just have to recognize, we don't boast what we're so good. We boast that the giver of the gift was so kind to give me that gift. There's nothing wrong with saying, I have a gift. You just have to acknowledge, where did you get it? You've got to give the credit to whom the credit is due. Somebody will come up and go, Pastor, I read that and I couldn't figure it out. And wow, you have a real gift of teaching. I said, well, thanks, but really the credit goes to the giver of the gift. I just use the gift. He gave me the gift to teach. I just use it. And I use it all the time. And Paul would tell you, whatever gift you have, what if your gift's hospitality? You said that gift, when people come over, you're the one going, here, have a little something to eat. You're thirsty here. I know a lady has that gift galore. That lady right there, my wife, she is so gifted at hospitality. I'd be like, the cupboard's over there, get your own cup. She'll be over there getting them a drink, getting them a plate of food. I'd be like, show them the fridge, find something. But she has the gift of hospitality. Now, whatever gift you have from God, Paul would say, exercise your gift. I like that he calls it exercise, because when I think of exercise, I know it takes effort to do. Whatever gift you have, you've got to put the effort in. When you use your spiritual gifts, it's a workout. And some people, they're not thinking that, hey, this is going to take some effort. They just think, oh, it's a gift. It'll come easy. No, what if I gave you a gift of a bicycle? you can still got to pedal, right? If you haven't pedaled for a while, guess what? You're going to get sore. You're going to find, whoa, where'd that muscle? It's been hibernating. I can feel it. You might not see it yet, but you know it's there. The next day when you're going, oh, yeah, it's there, right there. It's somewhere inside. It really hurts. I rode 20 miles. But when you start off with your spiritual gifts, guys, it takes effort. And some people come to me and go, Pastor, I thought God was gifting me to do this, and I tried it, and it was really hard. I think I'll quit just because it's taking effort don't quit you got a gift use it because then as you continue to use it guess who gets stronger you you get stronger in your faith you get stronger in the lord as you exercise your gifts so you use them. Paul says, but remember the gift you have you only have it because god gave it to you don't get all arrogant about it i'm so good i have this gift No, God is so good, He gave me the gift. I just use it. I'm very grateful for His gifts. How about you? Amen? Anybody else grateful that God gives us gifts? This is something we just need to remember. We are given these things because of a good God. These guys in Corinth, they were actually doing better off, we would say, than Paul. He's going to say, You guys are rich, you're filled, you know, you have food to eat, you're doing well in life. And by comparison, I'm just an apostle serving the Lord, I'm a slave, and I'm working with my hands, and I'm scratching by, you know, basically he's saying, in status of life, the Corinthians were doing socially on the financial level, and they were better off. Paul's like, you guys are better off than I am as an apostle. I'm just counted as a fool, for Christ's sake. To you, I seem foolish, because I'm not really investing in the world, I'm investing in God's kingdom. Yet the Corinthians, did they have materialism, in Corinth? Yeah, they had it down. Keep that in mind as you read the rest of this chapter. They had what we would call financial security. They were in a very good place as far as world trade. Corinth was a hub. A lot of commerce coming and going. And so prosperity was there. But unfortunately, spiritual prosperity was still in its infancy. And Paul has to address some of the things that come along with that Sometimes when you have so much physical stuff, you become arrogant. I have it all. And I don't need anything because what can you give me that I don't already have? And Paul's got to deal with that attitude. And you know what? I think it really addresses our culture today. This letter really applies well just as a whole to our nation compared to the rest of the world. We're the ones that have, well, we have more than anyone else more cars per household, more properties, more money in the bank. I mean, in other places in the world, they can have $2 to their name. So hopefully your answer will be, I signed up with him. I put my faith in what he did. That's what saves you, is putting your faith in the finished work of Christ. Amazing Grace Kona thanks you for listening to today's lesson. You can listen to today's lesson or any of the radio lessons on iTunes titled Celebrate the Lord or at our podcast site, CelebrateTheLord.org And if your travels take you to Kailua Kona on the big island of Hawaii, come visit us. We meet Sunday mornings, 9 a.m., on the beach to the north end of the old Kona Airport. For more information on Amazing Grace Kona, go to our church website at AmazingGraceKona.com Amazing Grace Kona is the original Calvary Chapel Kona.